everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, September 8th, 2019. What a wonderful, multi-talented cast we have on the show right now. Obviously, we knew that Tessa can sing, and I think I read somewhere that the actress who plays Lola can also sing, but I don't think I knew that Melissa Claire Egan, uh, Chelsea, could sing too. I thought it was wonderful that YNR found a way to feature those very talented ladies singing us a song that they all happened to know by heart, (laughs) impromptu style, karaoke style, at the Grand Phoenix pre-party party. party. (laughs) It was fun. I asked you guys last week if you were feeling the Grand Phoenix Hotel vibe. The majority of you were. 53% said you really like the new hotel. I I do like it. I voted in favor of it. And I enjoyed the pre-party party celebration. It was good to see all of the smiling faces. Because judging by next week's preview... I have a feeling that all hell is going to break loose at the actual Grand Phoenix Grand Opening. (laughs) I don't know what was going on with that preview. Tessa and Mariah and Summer were all doing some kind of weird hippie stoner LSD dance. They all looked like maybe they were seeing colors and fractals or something. And then we also saw Summer kissing Kyle while Lola is watching. And we had Sharon kissing Ray. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Everybody seemed a little extra loose, a little extra drunk. Honestly, they all seemed a little bit drugged. (laughs) I'm going to walk out on a limb here and predict that little Miss Zoe found a way to spike the punch. Or the, what did they call them? The grand uh, sangrias. Abby's signature drink, the Grand Sangria. I mean, given how much focus was put onto those drinks, I'm guessing that they have been tampered with. And also the fact that Zoe had to order a virgin version of a drink at the pre-celebration party, which indicates that she's not going to be partaking in the alcohol, and that may make her seem, uh, might make her have the idea of spiking the drinks. And also, in the preview, Zoe was standing there recording Mar- 
Mariah and Tessa and Summer doing their dance <laughs> with her cell phone. And Zoe has said that she wants to cause chaos at the grand opening. And Zoe has pretty much been given the blow off by everyone in town every time she has tried to get close to them. <laughs> this girl is like a disease. <laughs> Nobody wants to be anywhere near her, probably because they fear ending up in her social media stream. She has been relentless with the selfies, not only of herself, but trying to take pictures with everyone. I'm so glad she did not try to run into Victor and Nikki Newman and get a selfie with them or something because it's annoying and she's supposed to be annoying. <laughs> she is doing her job well. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for her, though, to be completely honest with you, because I think Zoe is young, and she's just a, a, an attention-hungry young girl, of which there are many. And Theo has pumped her up into thinking that she could become this big, big social media star, while he is really just using her to his own end. I mean, Theo probably told Zoe to spike the punch, or at the very least, he didn't stop her from doing it, because in this world of social media marketing, in Theo's world, chaos equals clicks. What worries me, though, is that everyone is going to assume Phyllis had something to do with it. Summer had even questioned Phyllis early in the week, asking her if she was planning something for the grand opening to do something naughty, but Phyllis reassured Summer that she has turned a new leaf. <laughs> she is not planning anything, but she also does not give Summer the heads up that she already knew Theo's protege, Zoe, was planning something of her own. Zoe approached Phyllis about partnering up to stir up some trouble at the party, and Phyllis very quickly turned Zoe down. It's not that Phyllis doesn't want revenge. Phyllis has been all about revenge, but Summer is working the party. Phyllis doesn't want to do anything to hurt her own daughter. I mean, given how hell-bent Phyllis has been on getting revenge on absolutely everyone in town who has wronged her, it's not too much of a stretch to think that Phyllis would be the one trying to get back at Abby and Chelsea and that she would want to use the Grand Phoenix opening party to do it. Phyllis tells Zoe, though, that if she is even thinking about pulling something, she better watch out because she doesn't know who she's messing with. If Zoe goes around and crosses Abby and Chelsea and makes this event a disaster, they're going to come after her. And Zoe is so young and so naive, she's not going to know how to handle it. This girl is out of her league. She is. 
But at the same time, this also goes back to something that we were talking about last week, where you have to have these peripheral characters who are pushing upon your main characters, pushing them to react to situations. Not everybody can be the force of plot drive. You know, some people have to be there to react. And that's exactly what Chloe, or sorry, Zoe is doing. I think she's doing it well. I really have enjoyed Summer's reactions to Zoe. The look on Summer's face every time this girl comes around is priceless. She is so annoyed. And she's right. Summer tried to be tolerant of Zoe following her around like a puppy dog, trying to find a way to hang out with her or just be friends. And really, what Zoe wants is to be in Summer's orbit because Summer's a star. She wants to be like Summer, not be friends with Summer. So seeing right through this, Summer finally threw up her hands and told Zoe on Friday that she is being beyond clingy. And of course, Theo's right there. And of course, Theo takes Summer's side. So Zoe, having her idol tell her that she's being annoying is exactly what's going to push this girl over the edge. It's what's going to make her do something very, very naughty at this grand opening party that's, I think, going to make for something very, very entertaining next week. Would Lola be more upset about seeing Summer kissing Kyle or <laughs> possibly finding out that Theo had kissed Kyle. Okay, 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 you guys. I am starting to get big gay vibes off of Theo. <laughs> Or at least by vibes. The by vibes are just coming off of him in waves that I almost can't stand. It's so obvious to me now. It's the only thing that makes sense for why Theo is acting so jealous of Kyle and his new life. <laughs> it's as if Theo wanted to be Kyle's wife. I think Theo, it's surprising that the wedding even went through. I would have expected Theo to have walked down the aisle with a big veil over his face. And then when Kyle pulled the veil back to kiss his bride, Theo would have said, ah, gotcha. Now we're married. Even Lola made a comment this week about how Theo is acting more like a jealous ex than Kyle's actual ex, Summer. <laughs> it's also a comment that I keep hearing over and over again. People suggesting that maybe Theo is into Kyle. 
I'm gonna make that a poll question for this week. Why in our chatters is Theo in love with Kyle? Or am I just being crazy? Go to yrchat.com, weigh in on this matter. Would YNR go there? If so, I I really would have to give them credit for doing something bold, finally. What if we find out that Theo and Kyle had a little thing going on in New York? And that's what the real secret is. Because as we know, the secret that we, uh, the secret with Zoe is a big old flop. Nobody cares. I don't think that Lola is going to care. I mean, I think it would be more interesting and noteworthy if we found out that, oh, that's what Kyle doesn't want to tell Lola about. Now, there's something that might make her question and go, hmm. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I would be all for it. I think it would certainly uh, fill out some more context to the weirdly developing relationship that Mariah and Theo have. I mean, maybe Theo would feel comfortable confiding in Mariah about his past with Kyle or or his current feelings for Kyle, knowing that Mariah would be open uh, to hearing it. I know that not all of the YNR fans and chatters uh, would like this idea. It's just a theory. I'm for it, but I don't even think YNR would have the guts to do it in the long run. Honestly, it's too new. It's too progressive. Josh Griffith only likes to rewrite stories that have already been written. <laughs> he is not an envelope pusher. He is a steer the ship and and don't sink it into the water kind of guy. (laughs) That's the vibe I get. And plus, he is also um, seemingly trying to build up uh, Theo and Summer being real hot and heavy. And YNR is also teasing a triangle with Summer and Kyle and Lola. But I don't think that means that, uh, that it couldn't come out of left field. You never know. There's got to be something more going on there. (sighs) Well, on the surface, yes, that Summer Kyle Lola triangle seems to be developing, especially uh, from what we saw in the previews of Lola looking on as Summer's planting a big one on Kyle. I think the audience is expecting Lola to hit the roof now. And I don't think that's what she's going to do. I think that it is going to come to light very quickly that someone spiked that punch and it was all extenuating circumstances. And I think then that Lola is going to swallow those feelings right down. She has been very mature uh, this week about Summer and Kyle working very closely together now that Jack has appointed Kyle as the interim CEO. I think Lola is going to surprise us. She's been very, very supportive. But it is also one of those little seeds that might plant itself in the back of her mind for later. Well, what do you think about Kyle's new title? Interim CEO. It's coming under much better circumstances this time. There are no secret plots that Kyle has on any of his burners to try to 
I don't know, take the company public so that Victor can turn around and buy it? Yeah, good idea. Kyle, just stay away from Victor this time around, okay? It is a little hard to believe that Ashley wouldn't make it a point to fly home from Paris lickety-split to take that CEO position for herself after how hard she fought last year to try to get it. So I guess that means Ashley has either, either had a complete change of her character, she, she, like Phyllis, has turned a new leaf, or... Maybe that means that Ashley is just on recurring status and we can trust her because she's really just going to be coming in here and there to say hi and bye. Yes. But I'm okay with Kyle sitting in the big chair for now. On day one, the first thing he did was call Summer into his office to find out how she feels about working together now. And um, she seemed okay with it after they established a few ground rules, namely that they are not going to be getting involved in each other's personal lives. They're not even going to mention each other's personal lives, which is a rule that they have already broken. <laughs> Theo, or Kyle could not help slipping in a little comment about Theo's relationship with Summer. Summer respected the ground rules, well, until next week probably, but Kyle couldn't help getting in a comment about Theo. (sighs) Yeah, it just seems like there's something more between Kyle and Theo. Maybe maybe it's just wishful thinking. I would love for the storyline to make a little bit more sense, but... I also really enjoy the dynamic that's going on with Summer and Kyle. I mean, they, they were working together very close this week, brainstorming ideas, moving and shaking and making things happen for a Jabot tie-in with the Grand Phoenix Hotel premiere. At this point, I really don't want to push for anything more with Summer and Kyle, though. I feel satisfied to let Lola and Kyle be happy for a while. And I also think that just Summer and Kyle's friendship is entertaining. I mean, those two have chemistry out the wazoo. I've said it for months now. I mean, even if they're just talking about lipstick and nail polish, I think that they're interesting to watch on the screen. And I also know that we'll get there eventually. Eventually, Summer will be there to break Kyle's fall when Lola throws him out after she finds out about his secret tryst with Theo, which will blow Summer's mind because she's been sleeping with Theo. Oh, that would be salacious. Oh. (laughs) But when Lola kicks... Kyle out, where will she kick him out of? Lola and Kyle have been talking this week about moving out of the apartment above the coffee house. I wonder if they'll end up moving into the Abbott Mansion. That was something that Abby suggested, but Lola didn't jump at. But I mean, it's it's maybe a little more empty if Jack's not there right now. Or have Kyle and Lola leveled up 
in their soap couple superstar status, maybe they're going to get their own house set. Maybe that's an indication of how popular this couple is. I mean, why not give that apartment above the coffee house to someone else? I can see how it would be feeling a little small to Lola and Kyle, and it also has some awkward memories for for her brother Ray. I mean, Ray is stopping by to see Lola all the time, and it must be very uncomfortable for him that his ex-girlfriend Sharon owns the place, so he's bumping into her every time he comes to visit his sister, but I mean, darn! That's Even if Lola and Kyle move, that still doesn't really solve Ray's problem if he's trying to avoid Sharon. Everybody knows that Crimson Lights is the only place in this town to get a decent cup of coffee. Everybody also knows that Sharon is a secret sniper with those kisses. I mean, you just never know when she might plant one on you. See, that's another reason why I think the punch is spiked at the Grand Phoenix Hotel. Because there's no way that Sharon would have gone from backing off and being friendly with Ray to just kissing him. Sharon had an opportunity this week to lean on Ray after she had a not-so-nice interaction with Adam, and she chose not to. So I can't imagine her just turning around (laughs) and throwing herself at Ray. Yes, Adam was very sore with Sharon when they bumped into each other this week because she turned down his marriage proposal and he put her on blast. He did not want to hear anything that she had to say. He pretty much told her to just save all of the psychoanalyzing, anything she had to say about his actions or anything else. Sharon chose not to be a part of his life and so he doesn't need her input. Probably not the best way to treat the so-called love of your life, and probably also not the best way to get her to change your, her mind, if indeed that's what Adam still wants. If he still wants Sharon, he maybe could have been a little nicer <laughs> to her, but that is not his style. No, no, no. I think that Sharon felt very bad about it. I don't think her intention was to hurt Adam. Um, she told him that she didn't want to marry him, but that didn't mean that she doesn't care about him. And she was clearly upset by the conversation that took place between them. And yes, Ray walked up in the aftermath of that argument and he offered to help Sharon talk it out. He saw that she was upset about Adam, offered to talk with her about it. And to her credit, She didn't take Ray up on that offer. Um, Sharon realized how wholly unfair it would have been to talk to Ray about Adam, who was the reason that their relationship didn't work out. It's not fair to lean on Ray to talk about your problems with Adam. And so that's why I just... I can't see her turning around and planting a big old kiss on him. It's, It's clear that Sharon is in a place where she wants to take a good, long, hard look at her life. She had the perfect life with Ray. She blew it up for those feelings with Adam. And then when she had the opportunity to be with Adam, she chose not to take it. So I think Sharon is at a crossroads. 
and she needs to decide what she wants to do with her life, what's really important to her and what the next best direction for her will be. She goes to Nick this week and she announces that she has decided to take a trip. She just wants to get out of town and 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 get in touch with herself. So she asks Nick to watch Faith for a little while so that she can do that. Where's she going? <laughs> Where is Sharon going? I'm 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 so curious. Is this a trip that is going to connect into the plot somehow or is this go- going to give us some sort of indicator of what is next in store for Sharon now that she hasn't really chosen either of the roads that we saw laid out in front of her, the Ray Road or the Adam Road? Will there be a new road that she is going to discover and will it parlay itself into something interesting for the plot or is this just one of the those exits for the actress to maybe let her go off on her summer vacation or something. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm wondering if it's possible that just Sharon and Jack will end up meeting up on their soul-searching journeys. This week, Jack unseats a repressed memory that he had as as a child he he overheard an argument between John and Dina and again Jack was witnessing and and as a child and really only thinking back upon it now as an adult a situation where Dina was very unsatisfied with her life as a wife and a mother she was looking for something more but she was also unable to articulate that to John and maybe even to herself because there was a moment where John was asking her what is it that you need to be happy, and she couldn't say it. And whether she knew it uh, or not, or if it was just a feeling of being restless, I don't know. But Tracy was talking to Jack through this sort of repressed memory, and she speculated that maybe what Dina would have said was that she wanted to have a business and a career all of her own, which was something that was just simply unheard of at the time. Um, Women today can start a business. They can travel the world. The sky is the limit. And and it really wasn't that way for for Dina's generation. So... um, Maybe that was what it was all along, and and she just wasn't able to say it. But I think that feeling of restlessness and wanderlust, it, it seems to be a trait that has been passed down from Dina to Jack. Because really, the parallel is, Jack is in a place in his life that Dina had been in hers. And he's trying to find out what it is that will make him happy and what he needs. And he's looking in the strangest of places for it. On Tuesday, we had an entire episode of just Jack and Victor shooting the breeze. Just talking about life and family and fathers and sons and regrets. Yes, please. Please. 
I would like to have more of this forever, please. It was wonderful. It was so surprisingly tender and candid and casual, given the bitter, bitter history between Jack and Victor for all of these years. I just really appreciated it. I just really relished it, soaked it in. I mean, it's not going to be forever that we're going to have these moments with our legacy characters. And I just thought it was so special and so rare. And in the end, I think the best part was that right as Victor stood up and got ready to leave, he just looks at Jack and says, all right, be cool, my man. And he walks away. I think he even said, you know, it's been kind of nice talking to you. Be cool, my man. And he walked away. It was just like these two guys, whether they've gotten along or not, they've known each other for decades. And the smallest little casual comment just felt like so deep. Didn't it? I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> Hearing the word, the phrase, be cool, my man, coming out of Victor's mouth toward Jack. It was just so great. But it was also Victor who suggested to Jack that when he's feeling that sense of longing, he gets out of Genoa City. He gets out of Dodge. He likes to put the past behind him and just travel into the unknown trying to find what he's looking for, which is interesting to note that that's kind of what Victor was doing all those years ago when he left Genoa City and ended up on a farm in Kansas where he met Hope and um, they eventually together conceived Adam. So I, I do remember Victor having that feeling of wanderlust and wanting to get away from all of the craziness in Genoa City, and he just got in his car, got, ended up getting carjacked, his identity, thought everybody thought he was dead, and he just ended up on this farm, and he did find a, a new version of himself for a while. <laughs> Maybe we'll see something similar for Jack. Um, I mean, we did see him in the car. I, I have to have one little criticism about this for Jack's character, though. I mean, I feel like Jack just went on a soul-searching journey a few weeks ago. Billy booked him a flight and he got on a plane and he went to Paris and he had declared in Paris that he found what he was looking for all along. Ashley and family and that reconnection to her and to it and to being an abbot. <laughs> I mean, he came back into town feeling refreshed and renewed, saying he found what he was looking for. And now here we are again and he's looking again. Jack crams young John who I think is really hot. I wish they would make this actor materialize. <laughs> like, I wish that Jack would just meet this guy somewhere on the road and then bring him back to Genoa City and keep him on the show because he's super hot. Um, <laughs> I liked seeing him. Well, Jack crams him into the back seat of the car and they go for a road trip together. Jack and the figment of his imagination on a road trip, which you know makes me nervous. Anytime anyone gets into to a car, I get this impending feeling of doom. <laughs> but so far, so good. 
Uh, Jack called Tracy from the road, and he doesn't say where he's going, but then we see a shot of him having like a, a pamphlet to a resort, some resort in Sedona that he's headed to. It was called the Pine Forest Inn and Spa. So what's that all about? Why Sedona? Obviously, Sedona is a beautiful and peaceful and magical place to find yourself. It would be an exceptional destination for going off to find yourself. But is there something more here? Is there a, a, a connection that I'm missing? Does, uh, does the name Pine Forest Inn and Spa ring a bell for anyone? Um, is there an Arizona connection that might be hinting at something for the future? Or is Peter Bergman just taking his summer vacation now too? Chelsea forgives Chloe rather quickly this week. Um, she just simply comes to the realization that she misses her friend. And she makes an effort to empathize with her. And uh, uh, they, they reunite. Chloe and Chelsea reunite. So much so that Chelsea joins them for a family Labor Day picnic in the park with cookies and lemonade tea. <laughs> Le Esther's recipe for lemonade tea is, I have to say, I've done that before. It is very good. Adding a little bit of lemonade in with your tea. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Very tasty. Has anyone noticed the inordinate amount of cookies on the show lately? I mean, there's a lot of children on the show right now. Maybe that's it. But everyone, it's like cookies, cookies, cookies. <laughs> Cookies at Crimson Lights, cookies that the cook has made at the ranch, cookies in the park. I mean, and the other thing about it, too, is that everyone, I have noticed in all of the cookie eating of the past two to three weeks, everyone is always drinking lemonade with their cookies. And I find that very strange, especially, I mean, it's almost like, okay, well, these two, these two things are very wholesome. Cookies are very wholesome. Lemonade is very wholesome. We'll just put them together. But they don't go together, YNR. If these people are having, for instance, a chocolate chip cookie, that does not go with lemon. Lemon and chocolate are two totally contrasting flavor profiles. You would not want to wash down a big chocolate chip cookie with a glass of lemonade. I'm sorry, it's just not realistic. <laughs> and it's my job to point this out. <laughs> Even if, for instance, you're having a sugar cookie or a frosting cookie, you don't want lemonade with it. Am I wrong? I mean, the freshest twist on this whole cookies and lemonade theme was Esther's lemonade tea. I, I, I'll give it that. I'm sure that would be fine. I suppose it would mute down the lemon a little bit, but I don't know. <laughs> I just can't get on board with the cookies and lemonade. <laughs> I don't know if I'm entirely on board with Chloe's plan either to help 
Billy, I'll put help in quotation marks because I'm not quite sure she's doing that. She is still having him held hostage at the boathouse while she's off having a picnic in the park. I would think you would want to at least stay within a certain radius of your hostage. <laughs> and the problem is, Billy, he, Kevin is knocking him out with knockout drugs, and yet Billy is still not staying knocked out. He also doesn't remember anything about the accident. Isn't that convenient? So, Chloe feels that in order to buy some time to get through to Billy, to help him not only get through his mental illness, but also to convince him that he even tried to kill Adam... Chloe has to buy some time by sending out a text message from Billy's phone telling his family, Jack, Tracy, and Victoria, that he's gone off to rehab. He felt that he was going to relapse, and he's going to rehab. And meanwhile, they are just holding him in the boathouse. He has a broken leg. But more concerning, he has a broken mind, and I'm not sure that Chloe is going to be qualified to help him fix that. I feel a little bad for Victoria because she is so in the dark about all of this. She just gets this mystery text from Billy, and then she bumps into Chloe at society, sees her alive and well, and also Chloe has to confess to Victoria that Billy knew that Chloe was still alive weeks ago. So now Victoria realizes that the Delia nightmares were not just coming out of nowhere. They were at least in part brought on by Chloe's reappearance. Is that the case? Can anyone confirm that for me? Did Billy not start having the nightmares until after Chloe showed back up alive? Maybe. Maybe that sort of explains why Billy was triggered into this whole de-evolution, uh, into going all the way down this path. I don't know. Maybe that is it. Maybe that does put a little more context to what his character has gone through. Maybe I just missed that. But nevertheless, Victoria told Victor that Billy was in rehab and that all of this has been going on with Billy. And Victor was uh, the first and only person to really put together or care that Chloe was the one who tried to shoot Adam all of those months ago, which means that Victor is also secretly putting together in his head that Chloe might have been the one or at least had something to do with Adam getting run over, or almost run over, a couple of days ago. Victor must be on to this. Adam came privately to Victor last week to tell him about his attempted murder, and Victor made a phone call last week trying to figure out who it was. So Victor is on to this. He's on to Chloe. He is totally going to have Chloe tailed, and she is going to lead him, or his investigator, to the boathouse where Billy's being held. And then all is going to be revealed. 
I mean, it might take a few weeks, though, considering Victor's medical condition is about to take a dramatic turn for the worse. Everybody knows that Adam is plotting something. Everyone is trying to anticipate what it is. Adam really hasn't been as slick this time around about his plotting. If Adam really wanted his plans to succeed, he should have pretended to call a complete truce when he went to Newman Enterprises and into that family meeting a couple weeks ago to deliver those custody papers to Nick. He should have pretended to be on the up and up, lulled everyone into a false sense of security, and then brought down the guillotine with whatever his plans are. Now he's having to work twice as hard to get anyone to believe that his intentions are pure. (sighs) Adam stole Nate's tablet, his doctoring tablet this week that had all of his doctor information on it. (laughs) Of course he did. Of course Adam stole the tablet. And... Adam got Phyllis to hack into Victor's medical records on the tablet. Of course she did. Of course she hacked the tablet. (laughs) And Nate realized that his tablet was missing right away. He even realized that it was no coincidence that Adam had been suspiciously chatting him up right before it went missing. Adam was asking questions about Victor. It was really obvious that Adam took the tablet. Nate figured it out immediately, but Abby, I guess after having had a few positive interactions with Adam, Abby reassured Nate that, yeah, Adam might have stolen the tablet, but I'm sure it was just to get information about our father's condition. I mean, everyone in the family has chosen to freeze him out. Maybe he was just earnestly trying to get the truth about Victor's condition, (laughs) even though he has stood there and declared war on the entire family, and we all know he's plotting something. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, well, no, that's not the case. Adam is plotting something. Adam tells Phyllis what his intentions are, that he is going to try to use the tablet and use the info that he got from the tablet to find out what medications Victor is on. And then he's just going to tweak them ever so slightly just to throw Victor off balance. Kind of mess with him a little bit. It's all very lighthearted just messing with him. But when we saw Adam buy those prescription drugs from Grandma in the park, (laughs) you know, we all know Grandma's always got the good stuff. Grandma's going to have the good stuff. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She seemed like a nurse, a dirty nurse, who got Adam some double doses of these prescriptions that Victor's already on. I mean, the doses that the nurse gave to Adam in the park weren't just tweaked. They weren't just a little bit off. They were doubled. So 
that makes it seem to me that Adam's intention is more likely to kill Victor than just to mess with him. I think he downplayed what he was doing when he was talking with Phyllis. And then when, when, when we saw him enacting the plan, it was a little bit more severe. Now, I'm keeping in mind here, of course, that Adam seems to truly think that it was Victor who tried to kill him a couple of days ago. He really thought Victor tried to have him killed. I don't know what makes Adam so certain that it was Victor. I mean, it, it, to me, it, it's just his own paranoia because Victor's tried to kill a lot of people over the years. <laughs> No doubt about it. Or he's he's managed to get a lot of people killed over the years. But never one of his own children. Uh, Victor's vanity would never allow him to try to kill his own flesh and blood. Besides, who then would be left to run Newman Enterprises potentially someday? More than anything, Victor just wants an heir. So it doesn't make sense that Victor would try to kill Adam. And it doesn't make sense that Adam thinks it was Victor. But... He does, and Adam goes to Victor's house this week. First, he has to do damage control to try to pretend to be sorry about those, you know, you tried to kill me accusations. But what Adam is really doing there is swapping out Victor's medication, his current medication, with the higher dose medication. And conveniently, those those pills were they happen to be located in a very similar bottle <laughs> inside of Victor's suit jacket. I mean, it really all worked out in Adam's favor. Thank goodness Victor doesn't have his pills portioned out into the daily little portion things where you pop up the lid and then that's your day of medication. Thank goodness that he just kept one bottle of the pills in his suit pocket, and that happened to be the very first place that Adam looked. Oh, I, who says that these two aren't alike? They think exactly the same way. In some strange way, I think that Adam feels like he has to follow through with this deadly tit for tat with. Victor, whether he really wants to or not, I think in Adam's head he's, he's imagining that Victor tried to kill him, and so therefore he's obligated, as the son of Victor Newman, to return the tit with the tat. I mean, Adam seemed very nervous and maybe even regretful when we last saw him on Friday. He was at his penthouse, looking out the window, pacing around his apartment, uh, nervously drinking his glass, gulping down, really, his glass of liquor. And then I'm also thinking back to that moment, I think it was on Thursday's show, with Connor, where Connor mentioned Grandpa being sick and that he was worried about him. And in that moment, I think that Adam was realizing that he was plotting to kill his son's grandpa. And it was Thursday's show where Adam ended it saying to Connor, don't worry, grandpa's invincible. And I think that there's a part of Adam that believes that. 
that Victor's invincible. So he can follow through with this deadly plan, maybe even scare Victor a little bit and then pull back at the last minute and everything will be okay. But I also think deep down he accepts the possibility that it could kill him, that that he could be killing his father. I don't know. We'll see what, what this does to Adam, what realizing what he's done to Victor does to Adam. Honestly, I would have liked to have seen Adam go through with buying the pills, maybe even going to the ranch to do the switch, but I would have liked to have seen him pull back at the last minute, maybe after having had a conversation with Victor, uh, maybe since he was there to extend the olive branch, maybe you know part of the conversation could have prompted him to change his mind. Um, I mean, the YNR chat audience has been very clear that we do not like to see Victor sick, and that's exactly what we're going to get next week. We already saw a preview of him at the coffee house on Monday practically ready to pass out in his chair. So I guess the writers just are thinking, well, let's just give them more of that thing that they don't like. (laughs) I don't want more seeing Victor sick. I was glad that it seemed like it was over. (sighs) Maybe Phyllis can talk some sense into Adam. Phyllis seems to be the only one who... Adam is listening to. It's as if Phyllis is the only one who's capable of communicating on Adam's level. So I hope that she's able to do something about this. But I also worry that Phyllis is going to get caught up in this whole thing. Phyllis also has a Newman grandchild. Same as Adam. And Summer is already a little bit involved. Victor called Summer over to the ranch early in the week to alert her that something might be going on with Adam. So I'm, I think that might mean that Summer could catch her mom doing Adam's bidding or being involved with Adam in some way. And, and I just wonder if Summer's going to find herself also stuck in the middle of this with some kind of dilemma, having to choose a side between her mom and in ke- keeping her trust or her grandfather and keeping him safe. And, and I don't think it's fair to Summer. I mean, this is a battle that she really doesn't need or want to have anything to do with. Or maybe Nikki will catch on to what Adam is up to. She almost caught him switching the pill bottles. Did she look amazing? on Friday's show or what. I just love that she hangs around her house wearing a designer white dress and an elegant updo. (laughs) She just looked so amazing for just, you know, hanging around the house on a weekday probably. (laughs) I like seeing Nikki and Victor. Um, I like seeing, you know, Nikki making her rounds this week. She also stopped by Nick's house Uh, to talk about Chloe's return from the dead. And Nick told her that he's also back together with Chelsea officially. They're not just friends as of a couple nights ago. You know what I mean, Mom. (laughs) If you know what I mean, Mom. (laughs) But Nikki sees the writing on the wall. 
She sees the war that's coming, and she tells Nick uh, that uh, Adam is not going to like very much that Nick is involved with Chelsea, and also that Nick has influence over both of his sons, over both Christian and now Connor's living under the roof too. So Nikki warns Nick to 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 be careful. And I did like that Nick said that he has absolutely no intention of coming in between Adam and Connor. There's no beef there. That's his son. He's all for him spending time with him. But if Adam thinks he's going to have any contact with Christian, he can think again. Anything other than Adam's relationship with Connor, everything else is fair game. And if Adam wants a war, then Nick says he's prepared. Well, join the club. The club of people who are at war and prepared for war with Adam is, it is everyone. It is everyone in town except for Adam himself and Phyllis. It just membership to the ready for war with Adam club has just ballooned. <laughs> oh, and just when Michael is ready to announce that he has masterfully freed himself from Adam's shackles. <laughs> Adam turns around and has Michael in another pair of shackles before Michael even realizes what has happened. So now Adam reveals to Michael this week that he has photos to continue the blackmail. Michael thought the blackmail was done. No, no, no. Adam has photos of Fen, Michael's son, Michael and Lauren's son, not only doing drugs, but dealing drugs as well. So we thought it was over. It's not over. And let me tell you, when Lauren found out that Adam was using her son's drug addiction, to continue to blackmail Michael, she was seething with some fiery red anger. I'm very interested to see what Lauren's going to do. I mean, we've seen Michael try to battle Adam and fail. So let's see what Lauren can do. (laughs) Oh, Fen. Ugh. <laughs> Fan and his drug addiction storyline was dark and depressing. Oh, that weird little tweaker, Fen Baldwin, and that whole storyline. By the way, you want to know who wrote it? You want to know who wrote Fen and his little tweaker drug dark storyline? Oh. I don't have to tell you. You already guessed it. Josh Griffith wrote it back in 2013. So, (laughs) on top of everything else, here we are again revisiting a story (laughs) that wasn't all that exciting in the first place. And here we are again making reference to an off-screen character who we will probably never see. I mean, you're using an off-screen character as a plot point. We're probably never going to see Fen again. Unless, who knows, maybe Fen is off doing drugs right now with Chance.
Oh, who knows? Maybe we'll actually see Chance. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He's a ghost. He might as well be a figment of our imagination. He ain't coming. (laughs) Don't sit around waiting for Chance, because he ain't coming. (laughs) I could be wrong, but I'm not. (laughs) I don't know. Devon did call out the big guns this week. Jill! To try to bring her in on this search for answers on who it is that might be contesting Catherine's will. And Jill did mention that she received a message from Chance a couple of days ago saying that he was working on something lucrative, but did not specify what. And of course, Nick was there talking to Devon about new snooze. Oh! I mean, new hope, sorry. And Nick quickly jumped in on the conversation about how Chance is a bad guy because he was known to be working with Adam, who was known to be sneaky. (laughs) Oh, I don't know why I'm so skeptical. I just, I feel like burn me once with the speculation about Chance and you're not going to let you burn me twice. I just think that YNR... Uh, teased the chance thing and didn't deliver it. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe they realized that the viewers were mad and they're going to go back on it now or just try to fill in some blanks. I don't know. But I'll tell you the other thing that occurred to me this week about this Amanda Sinclair. Sinclair. This mystery lawyer who Devon looked up He did a little search on her, (laughs) got some info about her career, but the picture had a big old empty mystery person question mark in it. No face. We have no photos of her. There's in this day and age, this, this attorney who is, was very, had a lot of accolades to her name. There was no photos of her though. He couldn't, he didn't click over to Google image search. (laughs) didn't get any photos. So this is what this tells me. I again I could be wrong, but this is a theory that I think could could work and it could be interesting. What if this Amanda Sinclair turns out to be a dead ringer for Hillary? Can you even imagine? She shows up to do the job and she looks just like Devon's ex-wife. <sighs> just strikingly similar right at the same time that Elena and he are getting close and right at the same time that Elena is also getting close to Nate who looked handsome very very handsome in his purple suit at the Grand Phoenix pre-party I might add well maybe Hillary's doppelganger could be representing Chance oh there's a million possibilities (laughs) Oh, you know, I just miss Catherine. Sometimes I almost don't realize how much I miss Catherine until I see Catherine or a photo of her or a flashback of her or someone mentions her and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That's probably one of the reasons why I can get so frustrated with YNR right now. There is a big gaping hole right in the middle of it where 
Catherine's light and life and spirit used to be. And it's still really hard to get over that. It's still really hard to move on with the show with her not there. I mean, that flashback of Catherine signing with Devon as she was trying to make peace with him, she looked very thin and frail there, which is not really how I remember Catherine mostly. I'm not sure what year that flashback was from, but it must have been within her final few years. Because I, I do remember Catherine trying to develop that relationship with J Devon, and I remember him being very skeptical about it. I remember he gave her a hard time. And um, I also remember feeling weird about the fact that she left him the bulk of her estate in the first place because they weren't very close for very long. He was just the only heir left in Genoa City who could feasibly have left the fortune too. And Devon and Elena talked a lot this week about his process for getting to know his grandmother and even coming to terms with that sudden wealth. What it's like to wake up one day and realize that there are no limitations on you and your life. And now he's got this lawyer's letter looming over him and he feels afraid that someone is going to come in and try to take away from him what Catherine wanted for him. And there is a part of me also that thinks, well, what if it is the opposite? I wonder if there's any chance that Devon is about to inherit something additional from Catherine. Maybe something that we didn't know about. Maybe there is a, a new asset that has come to light. Just, I hope it's not a boathouse. <laughs> then we're really screwed. <laughs> You know, another theory that occurred to me about this lawyer was that we also had those rumors of Jessica Collins potentially returning to the show as Avery. And then we had Phyllis going on that tirade with Adam this past week about how he may have a horrible family, but at least he has a family. She doesn't have any contact with anyone in her family. So might that have been a hint that Phyllis's lawyer, sister, Avery, might be returning to town under a different name? If I could bend the laws of time and space, I'd take a mulligan on a lot of things. That was our quote from last week, and it was Sharon who said it. She was talking to Mariah about a multiverse where, you know, if, if Ray wanted to reconcile, if she could bend the laws of time and space, she, she might do things over with Ray. So here we have Sharon expressing to Mariah a regret about what happened with Ray and a desire to have him back. And I'm sure being drugged at the party is just pushing her into uh, kissing him and moving forward on, on, on wishing that that multiverse were a real place and she could bend the laws of time and space. Quite a few of you guys guessed it right, so congratulations, Henry, Julie, Robbie, Keisha, Sherry, Nancy, Susan, Christy, Martha, Jennifer, Sandra, and Jamie D.
Can you do it again? How about this one? It speaks to me as someone with a toddler. (laughs) Never underestimate the power of a good nap. Am I right? I never used to like naps, but I'm getting to where it's a little hard to make it through the day sometimes. (laughs) I do love a good nap. So who do you think said that? Never underestimate the power of a good nap. Go to yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if you guess it right, then I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. Oh, I have so many comments for you this week. Let's start out with this zinger from Gary saying, just say no to Jill's diamond shoulder pads. (laughs) Oh, Gary, you know I saw those diamond shoulder pads entering in the scene. I saw it from, like, it was a far away distance shot from, like, we were in Nick's perspective, and Jill was knocking at the front door, and I saw those shoulder pad dangly doodah things coming off coming off of her jacket or whatever it was from a mile away. It was like blinding and also just a terrible fashion choice. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but you know what? At the same time, it's kind of Jill. <laughs> It does sort of represent that uh, that old school soap eighties shoulder paddy kind of vibe that she embodies. So you know what, uh, I, no one else could pull it off but Jill. <laughs> I'll give her that. Well, we've had so much talking about those opening credits this week. Kyle was the YNR chatter who initially got that conversation rolling and uh, and says, hey, after the comment was read last week, I watched this week and Mariah was in all of the intros. <laughs> Every single one. Still no Kyle or Michelle Stafford, though. Yes, I know. I was watching again. It's one of those things that you will just never be able to unsee. Mariah is in every single intro. (laughs) And Sherrod says, Allie, the reason that Cameron Grimes is in most of the opening credits could be that she's a two-time daytime Emmy winner and the youngest at that. By the way, she's not the only one. So is Eric and Melody and Joshua and Sharon. They're veterans of the show. And even though she's still young, so is Cameron. Oh, uh, Sherrod, well, I wasn't meaning that in any way to be derogatory toward Cameron. I want her to get her credits, absolutely. It's just a note, though, that she is her, she has a credit in every single opener. And and um, even Eric Braden, Melody Thomas Scott, they do not. They do not appear in every single opener. Neither does um, Jack or, uh, or anyone else. I haven't noticed anyone else who's in every single one. Um, it's just, I, it's just, uh, the observation is less about who deserves it or who's in it or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's more about, uh, that it's, it, it doesn't make, uh, any kind of, 
like sense in terms of who's there, who's not, who's a contract player versus who's on recurring status. There's just no deciphering anything about anyone's contract or status with the show just by looking at the opening credits. I also think it signals a little bit that it's in flux, the fact that we have so many other characters who are just not represented at all. I mean, as Kyle said, uh, there's no Michael Milor as Kyle, there's no Michelle Stafford as Phyllis, um, and as TB84 says, finally, someone started the subject about opening credits. I know it's maybe not important, but since we've got so many new casts, some are on contract, some are on recurring, but but uh, I can smell something new is cooking up because I'm dying to see Kyle, Phyllis, Ray, Elena, Adam, Nate, Tracy just for once, or maybe even Theo. Yes, uh, TB84. I mean, you've just listed so many. There's so many people who are just not represented in those opening credits. And then we have other people who are just there every episode. I uh, And I mean to say, too, I also think it's probably more about, like, uh, filling the amount of time needed for that intro. And maybe they're chopping it up depending on the length of each show. Maybe there's something there. But I, uh, the, the main takeaway from uh, us opening up that conversation about the opening credits is that it, it's we can't read anything into it deeper. I mean, I, I think at this point, the opening credits are really more ceremonial, right? Uh, YNR used to have these, they're famous. YNR was famous for their credits. Uh, and they had a much smaller cast, so everyone could be included. Now, here we are where there's a lot of revolving door and a large cast. It really wouldn't be feasible to work in an intro where every character is featured onto every single episode. So really, what we should be looking at are the end credits. The Beginning credits, I think, are just ceremonial. I mean, you know, a lot of shows now don't have long intros at all. I think they probably feel pressured to keep them short so that you can get into the actual meat of the show and not lose viewers. I mean, seconds are precious in TV town now. So they probably just want short, quick, quick, quick intros. And at this point, they're stuck having to do that traditional show every character format because that's what the fans expect. That's so extremely associated with the show at this point, but really what we need to be looking at in, for clues of who's on contract or who's in recurring or what's going on, it's those end credits. That's what we need to be looking at. The, the, the front credits are just up top. It's just what we expect to be looking at. Um, and also, I do agree, I think something new is probably coming down the pike. I just don't know what it's going to be. Speaking of casting, uh, Tina Cole says, does this mean that Fenn is coming back to Genoa City? Or is the show just using him as a way to keep Michael back under Adam's thumb? Well, I think it's the latter. I haven't heard anything about any casting on Fenn. Have you? Has anybody out there heard anything about casting Fenn? I actually quite liked the, uh, I think his name was Max something. Max something or other. I liked the actor who played the tweaker Fenn way more than I liked the actor who played, or the version of Fenn, where he was the musical star. I never quite connected. I mean, remember, they brought him back as one and a half a music career for about a second 
And then he was gone. I don't think they have any intention of developing the character. If they didn't do it then, they ain't going to do it now. I think it's just another reference to an off-screen character meant to facilitate the plot. Uh, and I think they think it's a great idea. I think YNR think, oh, it's great. The fans are going to love this. We're referencing other characters. But see, I think we have an investigative mind here at YNR Chat. And we hear that and we go, ooh, is this person coming? I mean, we're always looking for a way to spoil ourselves or the little rumors about the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I think they think it's great. Uh, but I, I don't think it's great. <laughs> I don't like it. If you're going to mention Fen, give me Fen. If you're going to mention Chance, give me Chance. I think that's their way of trying to fold in the history of the show into the current story with probably probably without having to further bloat the cast. I mean, it's been an interesting strategy with casting over the past couple of years. It's changed. You used to have a dozen or more contract solid players. They are the guys. And now it does seem like YNR's casting strategy is to have fewer contract players but then you're bring you keep the people on recurring status at arm's length so you can chuck them onto the screen quickly you don't have to offer them a contract uh, and you just work around their schedules for when they want to work that it just i think that the nature of casting and the cast on the show has changed so much and they need to find a way to let the credits reflect that and they haven't gotten there yet and also, it's probably a hassle to have to go back in and re-edit those opening credits every time somebody comes or goes, especially now when everybody's always coming and going. I bet they're thinking about it, and I bet they're working on it. Hey, speaking of little casting notes, Leslie, this is so great. Leslie says, I got some scoop on Pat Foley. The Crimson Lights employee of the month. The lady pictured in the photo as Pat Foley was Jenna Whitman, a former makeup artist for YNR and B&B who passed away in June. So apparently this was a bit of a tribute. Oh, Leslie, I don't know where you found that, and I'm so glad you did. That is so wonderful to know. I feel like we're keeping the Pat Foley, we're keeping the tribute going here at YNR Chat. We have been obsessed with Pat Foley, the Crimson Lights Employee of the Month, for quite a while. <laughs> we're we're not we're taking that and we are running with it. So hopefully that's a little bit of a tribute to Jenna Whitman. How wonderful to know that. Why don't I know things like that? As your faithful YNR reporter, I should be doing a better job of presenting you with with that, but it takes everything I've got just to present you with the week of shows. I never end up getting these behind-the-scenes tidbits. I wish YNR did a better job of doing um, news blasts about the the behind-the-scenes stuff on this show. Of course, then again, maybe if I got the soap mags again, maybe I would have that scoop. But the soap mags are behind. By the time you get your soap magazine, it's old news. And they don't update their websites all that frequently. And so the only place you have to go to get scoop are gossip sites, and I like confirmed stuff. I want facts, ma'am. Just the facts. (laughs) Oh, I gotta keep going. Let's talk about Adam. Daisy says, 
The second Nate realized his tablet was missing, with Adam being the probable culprit, he should have immediately alerted the hospital, law enforcement, and checked Victor's levels and medication. Why Nate left his tablet around Adam is beyond me. I hope Nate checks Victor's med levels and when it's not where it should be, goes to Paul with the altered medication and the list of culprits, stopping at one, Adam. Then hopefully Adam and Phyllis will be caught and charged with stealing Nate's property, tampering with hospital records, and trying to harm Victor. Boy, I don't think I don't think Adam's gonna get caught. I think he's gonna catch himself. And this is the, a continuation on the theme of YNR working, doing their very best to try to reform the character of Adam. It, what's more puzzling to me is that, uh, yeah, that that Nate decided to just drop it. His tablet with confidential information was stolen, probably by Adam, and he didn't go to the cops. Abby just let him wash that away. That's weird. Diana says, I'm not looking forward to seeing Victor go through the side effects of Adam messing with his medication. I don't like to see Victor being not well. Eric Braden is such a great actor and it always feels so realistic. It makes me sad. I think it's a terrible thing for Adam to do to his father. It is unconscionable even for Adam. I know. I don't like it either. I don't like seeing Victor this way. Even just seeing him in the preview made me uncomfortable. Leslie says, I have no problem with what Adam is doing to Victor, as Victor would not hesitate to do the same to anybody other than I don't want everyone to be justified for their treatment of Adam and that it could keep him from Connor. Hopefully he gets away with it like Victor would. (laughs) Oh, you're bad, Leslie. You're bad. (laughs) Zuberplex also says, lest we forget, because of Victor's machinations, four people died when when he introduced Marco to town. Austin, Courtney, Kelly, and Harding. He almost killed Jack, whom he had shackled to a bed for weeks, and his daughter, Abby, was attacked by Marco. Ugh. Look, you guys don't have to sell me on Victor Newman has it coming. That I get. (laughs) But I can't watch it. It's pitiful. It is so pitiful. (laughs) You guys are heartless. No, you're right. I mean, in terms of logic and, you know, the, the through vein and consistency of the show, you're right. It's just that you're artless. <laughs> oh, I'm teasing. Well, T. Nicole says, why wouldn't Phyllis demand that Adam get her ownership of the Grand Phoenix in exchange for hacking into Nate's tablet? That seemed like an obvious way that he could pay her back. Yeah, I know. Phyllis said she had to come up with some kind of way to let Adam pay her back. But that would have been the one that seemed to be the thing that she wanted. But I guess that's off the table. I don't know. What is Phyllis going to ask for in return? We still have yet to find that out. Leslie says, I also really liked the Phyllis and Adam scenes. It was a nice reminder of Phyllis and her custody loss, which to me was almost worst, mostly because she gave birth to Daniel, bonded with him, and then lost him, after which Danny left town with him. 
at least Adam will get to run into Christian from time to time. And if he plays his cards right, he could even have some type of relationship as Uncle Adam. I hope that uh, that he sticks around long enough for us to see Christian's hatred of Nick uh, for keeping the truth from him. Oh, I'm sure that'll play out someday for sure. For sure, when they age Christian and he finds out about his, who, who his real father is, that'll play out for sure. So, so that's future storyline. Um, but also, I really like that you mentioned uh, that scene with Adam and Phyllis where Phyllis just let it all out and said, oh, sure, I can't possibly understand what you're going through, Adam. You know, enjoy your pity party. But over here, the rest of the world has their pain too. She lost custody of her child. And I do remember that storyline being very, hard. I mean, Phyllis was such an annoying character to me back in the day because she had manipulated so hard and so long to get Danny. And then finally the truth came out about the paternity of Daniel. And even though I found Phyllis to be an annoying character at the time, it was hard to watch her lose custody of her son and be ripped away, not only, as you say, of custody, but of of distance. Danny left town. She didn't have the ability to see him. And that is also a character trait or a, a scar, a character scar, that we can that it has been very important in Phyllis's character that we're seeing again coming back up. And I do like that, and I appreciated that YNR brought that back up. Oh, let's see. Let's shift to Billy. Um, Anna had called in to say she agreed with Daisy's comment from last week that there could be something laced in Billy's gum, that maybe it's not a mental like uh, illness storyline, that maybe someone is still doing this to him. Anna says that Billy could have very well been on the same pack of gum. He keeps the wrapper but puts the stick back in. So I'm thinking there could be something in his gum, although maybe not. They're just making such a big deal about the gum. See, that's how I feel about those uh, those grand sangrias. <laughs> We've heard so much about Abby's featured drink. I'm like, well, that's something going on there. So you could be right. Maybe there's maybe that's what the gum is all about. Lisa J says, I just returned from a cruise, so I had seven episodes of YNR to watch. Good times. I see that Billy is being held in the Chancellor Boathouse. I hope this doesn't get drug out too long, but does this mean that the gum chewing and the Alfred Hitchcock background music scenes are over? Oh, well, first of all, welcome back from your cruise. Tell us where you went. Ooh, that sounds so nice. Um, And also, yes, I hope this doesn't last too much longer, but I wonder if it's going to stretch out the length of... Victor being uh, gaslighted, I don't know, having his medication messed with, because I just think Victor's going to find Billy in the boathouse somehow. Um, And also, I love that you called the gum chewing uh, Hitchcockian, kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, parallel. I was wanting to reach toward like a black and white detective story, the way he was chewing the gum and the music in the background, but it is very Alfred Hitchcock, too. Kiki says, I can't believe that Chloe has finally seen the light and has been given a second chance and is about to throw it away. I know she wants to help Billy, but he needs professional help. She's going to get caught up in the crossfire. Yes, I know it. And Billy, or er, Chloe did go at lengths to try to talk to uh, Kevin about that this week. It's clear that she doesn't want to sacrifice her own life, but she also feels very passionately about stopping Billy from going down that path. She told Kevin, look, 
Billy and I are members of a club that I would never wish that anyone else had to join. So I think this is part of Chloe's redemption process. And uh, yeah, I think YNR has taken too long on some things and not long enough on others. And maybe that's why there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Maybe we needed to see Chloe's evolution a little bit more outside of what's going on with Billy. Astra says, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't see Jerry Douglas in Jack's back seat. Has the actor officially retired from acting? I know he's up there in age. I don't know. I'm not sure, but Gary answered that question, Astra, and says, uh, look at it this way. In the past, John Abbott appeared to Jack to comfort him with his current, at the time, adult issues. Where now, it's Jack's youth, his child-parent connection, or lack of, that's troubling him. So he sees his father as he was. In a way, you can make, that's how you can make young John work for you in the scenes. But what is up with Jerry Douglas? A short, uh, long while ago, Jerry Douglas made a comment saying that he would only come back to YNR for something very important. But what about all those times you had no problem stopping in at the drop of a hat to play all those endless ghost scenes? Age may have been a problem for him. Retired is retired. Oh, I, I like Jerry Douglas too, you guys. Uh, but I, but Gary, this is a great point, uh, and it helps me understand and put some context into why Jack is there in the backseat with young John. He's thinking about young John and what happened in the relationship between young John and Dina, young Dina. So um, that that does help put that in context. Although, um, yes, I, I quite liked Jerry Douglas, but did not like Ghost John. I was annoyed with Ghost John, and I think mostly because I was annoyed that they killed the character. Uh, what a mistake. Uh, does anybody know what Jerry Douglas is up to? It'd be good if we got some updates on him, some where are they nows on him. He was quite dapper back in the day, wasn't he? Well, let's talk about Victor and Jack. I had mentioned at the website this week about Victor walking away from that conversation with Jack, and his last words were, be cool, my man. Michelle says, Victor said, be cool, my man, in the style that Neil used to say it. And then in the immediate next scene, it started with a framed photo of Neil and Devon. Coincidence? I don't think so. YNR sprinkles in lines to pay tribute to Christoph St. John. Yep, you're so right. You're so right, Michelle. And I did that did occur to me that it sounded like a Neil line. And then we had a couple weeks ago Nick doing it with the, my man, be cool, my man. I think you're right. Yeah, I know. Oh, we're getting so much um, references to our characters who have passed with Catherine and with Neil this week. Astro says, Jack and Victor being nice to each other is refreshing. It's the whole older and wiser vibe about it that I really enjoy. It reminds me of Jill and Catherine getting along, for the most part, in the later years. Yes, yes, Astro. For the most part. But they had these wonderful moments. Um, you know, it's so funny because when I think of Jill and Catherine, I think of them as mother-daughter. I don't know why, but I loved when they were mother and daughter, and it forced them to get along. I guess I, I guess I like that dynamic where it's like we don't really like each other. We're kind of enemies, but we got to get along, so let's try. And that was what Jack and Victor were doing this week, and I enjoyed it. 
Well, Jamie was tagging up on our conversation about Billy and Sharon and how mental or disorders are addressed on the show. And Jamie comments that actually she thinks Weiner did a good job of showing Sharon's bipolar disorder. Jamie says the stark difference between Jamie's behavior when she's on or off her, med- off her meds, honestly, I have to appreciate it because I've seen the difference that the right meds can make for a person. And it really is night and day. One moment they could be burning down a ranch and the next you wouldn't even know they had a mental illness. I've seen that big of a change take place with the correct meds. Well, you know, uh, meds are some serious business, no doubt about it. And I think that's also why it makes me so worried about Adam doubling Victor's dose. You know, I mean, at his age, especially Adam has got to know that that could kill him. Hmm. Uh, Maria Kay says, I don't get the writers when it comes to Sharon and Adam versus Sharon and Ray. I feel like the writers can't decide which direction to take her storyline. I hope they can make up their minds and give Sharon a deserved storyline that's related to her degree and that would give her a new career path with exciting and new adventures ahead. Instead, she's acting like Cinderella at Crimson Lights, waiting for her Prince Charming to arrive. I agree, Maria Kay. I I really loved Sharon's career path storyline. It's like, you know, I said this at the website. Sharon is so unlucky when it comes to love that it was wonderful to actually see her succeeding when it came to her education and her career. Um, That's how I like my Sharon. I like to see my strong Sharon, not just like waffling back and forth, waiting to find out which guy's going to take her. But Gary says, update, Sharon returns from vacation early to make out with Ray next week. (laughs) That's what I thought at first. But I think Sharon's going to, there's just no way they would have gone to the trouble of saying that Sharon was going to go off on vacation only to bring her back so soon. I think she's just making her rounds before she goes off on vacation. But that's just a guess. (laughs) Oh, let's see. Talking about that preview. Shelly says, little Miss Zoe, it's so wonderful that her character is supposed to be irritating to the viewers, isn't it? However, I just have come to the realization that Zoe and Abby are exactly the same. Is Abby supposed to be irritating? Hashtag twinsies. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was a little irritating the way Abby had that speech at the pre-party party, and she was just going on and on about herself and her career. And, I mean, I guess Chelsea did the same thing, And but I don't know. There was something about it that did come off as a little bit shallow. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't know. I think Zoe is intended to be irritating, whereas Abby is intended to come off as driven, career-driven and, and focused on her career. But uh, Lisa J says, I feel like if Summer and Abby had a baby, it would be Zoe. (laughs) Yeah, I think that nail meat head for sure. T. Nicole says, I don't understand Theo wanting to hurt Lola and Kyle's relationship. Wouldn't Theo then worry that Summer would go back to Kyle if his marriage with Lola blows up? Well, see, T. Nicole, that's what makes me think about this theory. Maybe Theo doesn't really want Summer. Maybe Theo... Once. Kyle. 
Astros agreed with Tina Cole, though, saying, I want to see Theo start to really fall for Summer. It would make more sense for him to be enemies with Kyle over the fact that Summer is still close with Kyle. Uh, then the whole Kyle isn't a party boy anymore. Excuse. Yeah, uh, 100%. The party boy not it don't make no sense. It does not justify the lengths that Theo is going to. Summer would be a justification if they were arguing or, you know, having some tension over that. That would make sense. But it doesn't. Shelly says, I'm still not convinced that Theo isn't in love with Kyle. So there you go. I'm not alone. I got at least one vote <laughs> that I know where it's going to go this week, Shelly. Oh, Daisy says, Theo acting like he's jealous or angry with Kyle is getting old, and Kyle not telling Lola about what happened with Zoe makes no sense. Why hide it? I really think Theo is going to be in for a big surprise, because if Lola and Kyle break up, even in part due to Theo's nonsense, then I don't think Kyle will rest until he shows Theo what happens when someone tries to ruin his life. I can see Theo losing everything. Who is related to friend, who is related to or friends with everyone in town, not Theo. I hope though that Lola does not see Kyle withholding the Zoe information as a reason to end their marriage. Some things can be worked out. This might be one of them. Absolutely. I think that this could be worked out between uh, Lola and Kyle, no doubt about it. But you make a good point that if something does happen in the relationship that makes it go south, then Kyle is going to see Theo as the cause. He's going to take out all his rage on Theo. And that's where we're going to see that flip in Kyle's character from being nice boy to going back to being a little more devious. So that's a possible storyline trajectory, too. Oh, Leslie had a really uh, great quote that she found on Wikipedia from an interview with Michael Mooney, the Adam number two, probably the first major iteration of Adam. Michael Mooney, upon taking that role, said, I've been told by many of my cast members that the role to play is Adam. They say, if I were to have a choice, the character I would want to play is your role, Adam. So Leslie asks, what role would you all choose if you got to pick a role on YNR? Oh, I love this question. And Leslie says she would be Gina Tognoni's Phyllis or Jill or uh, for, for, for a male, she would be Jack, Adam or Billy in that order. Oh, this is such a good question. I feel like maybe we talked about it before, but I don't remember. I don't think we've approached it quite this way of if you got to pick a role on Y&R and play it, who would you pick? Jill's a good one, Leslie. I can see you being some Jill. Um, you know, I ha- talk thinking about Michael Mooney's quote and everybody saying that they would love to play the role of Adam. That is so tempting. You know, I think it'd be really tempting to want to play a villain, Uh, But with my natural disposition, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to pull off playing Adam or a villain with any any sophistication. So my knee-jerk reaction was to say that I would like to play the role of Victoria, maybe zazz it up a little bit. But then I realized that Victoria is not really supposed to be zazzy. And Amelia Heinley is doing a pretty good job of being pretty blank. (laughs) And pretty cold. I don't think I can pull off cold because I'm warm. So maybe I should play the role of Victor's other daughter, Abby. 
What do you think? Do you think I would make a fabulous Abby or what? <laughs> well, I want to know what role all of you guys would pick. I'm sticking with Abby. Maybe that's why I've been so critical of Melissa Ordway all over the years. Maybe the truth is I want her job. Okay, everybody. I hope you had fun joining me this week. And I hope you go to the website to leave me some comments. YRChat.com it is. Go there, check out all the stuff, get your thoughts out, and I will pick the ones that uh, that meet the deadline for when I got to do YNR Chat that kind of fit. And I'll read out some comments again next week. Um, or if you don't want to do that, just come back uh, and, and join me again for another riveting YNR chat. <laughs> All right, I'll see you next Sunday. Bye!